This is the Snake on a Stick podcast. Our goal is to better connect students with scripture by unpacking the main ideas and discussing the best ways to apply those ideas to our lives today. I'm Dexter. I'm Caleb. And I'm David. And we're Snake on a Stick. Hey, we're Snake on a Stick, and we are talking today about Solomon. Solomon. Got my Melon Mountain Dew. David's chilling in his nice uh, wingback chair. Yeah, that's cool. And Caleb is... Oh, he's Caleb. He's Caleb. Just, I'm here. I'm along for the ride. He's here and going to help a lot with the ride. He's actually the engine. He oh, drives this thing. Coffee cup is empty, though. It is empty. My Mine fuel. is almost empty. My Melon Mountain Dew needs to be touched more. <laughs> so, Song of Solomon is on the docket today. <laughs> My coffee is empty now. <laughs> Do we need to edit this, or uh, is that... <laughs> no, we're good to go. Let's get going. Let's just run with it. Uh... Yeah, Solomon. I love Solomon's story, not as much as the other kings, honestly. And I said a little bit ago that it wasn't a lot in Scripture about Solomon in his time. But he did a lot. Yeah, there's a whole lot. Like, he accomplished a lot. Yeah. Uh, and stuff that his dad wasn't allowed to accomplish. Yeah, the building of the temple. Which is well, a big deal. There, I think, which is super cool. Because uh, he can spend a long time just talking about all those things. But I guess we should talk about basically how he became king. His dad died. Yeah. <laughs> like Simba, right? Yeah. Can't wait for king. Although, can't he had brothers. Wait. Right? His brothers that... He was not the oldest. He was not the oldest. He was not the, the I guess, rightful one culturally to take the king role. But he also did not try to mutiny against his father. This so is true. true, too. He has that one up on That's a couple of David's sons. Basically what David tells Solomon. Hey. He didn't try to take over, so here you go. You get it now. You weren't the jerk son. So. <laughs> you waited for me to almost die instead of trying to kill me. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. <laughs> it's always been odd to me, though, that he was Bathsheba's son. Yeah. And this is his latest wife. Yeah, the one yeah. that got David in all the trouble and honestly, to some extent, the whole kingdom of Israel going forward. Okay, hold yeah. on. Hold on. And It's a Me Too situation, buddy. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Did he, she get him in trouble? Come on. No, th- that decision. That I decision. wasn't saying she got okay, him in trouble. Sure. His not, decision regarding her yes, got him sure. in trouble. He was an idiot. Yes. And she's smoking hot. So, uh, as far as we know, I guess. As far as David thinks. You just, it just says that she was an attractive woman, so you just picture whatever you want, and that's as far as she looks like. So, <laughs> whatever you find attractive. We don't have any pictures. So, your characterization. So, yes. David made a stupid mistake with Bathsheba. But it is funny, like you said, like, why that wife's son? son yeah. yeah. When, when the first, when her firstborn, the one that he got her pregnant with in the first place, is, had to die. Yeah. So how come this one gets to become king? I always thought that strange. Yeah. Super strange. I don't, I, I've never understood it either. Like, I never, it doesn't make sense to me that Solomon would become king. Yeah. Of all the kids David had. Yeah. From all his wives, which is, again, silly. And just all the reasons we just talked about very quickly, you know. He's not the first. He's Solomon's. Bathsheba's his mom. Like, there's a whole lot of cultural reasons why yeah. he wouldn't be the guy. Maybe to some extent, Solomon never expected to be king. Maybe. And that's why he didn't get in trouble. Because he was like, ah, it's not my right anyway. I'm the son of Bathsheba. Like a middle child. Like, I just feel ignored. <laughs> <laughs> it could very well be. Although, to some extent, well, no, never mind. Solomon's in no way related to Uriah, other than the yeah. son of Uriah's wife. Yeah, sure, yeah there's, no, there's no Uriah DNA there. there. No. And Uriah is Bathsheba's 
husband that David had killed at war. For yep. those that uh, know. Very righteous man by all accounts. Yeah, a guy that, that refused to go home. That, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't go home. Wouldn't Since even betray. Yeah, even if, even when he got drunk, he still wouldn't betray his his buddies on his the, conscience. the battlefield. I always thought that was really cool of him, by the way. Like, I'm like, I don't know. If it was me, I'd be like, I'm going to go home. All yeah. Right, the king says I can go home. I'm I can go, go home. home. I'm going home. I'm going to see my wife. <laughs> yeah. And, and David wakes up the next morning and goes, ah, oh, I fixed my problem. And Uriah is sitting there sleeping with all the slaves. He's like, why are you here? Yeah. You should have gone home. Like, I can't. Yeah. So, and, yeah. It's, it's, I guess we don't know what David was thinking through that, but it always seems like that, that would have, should have, like, way before Nathan, I would have thought that would have really pricked at David's conscience. Like, oh man, this yeah. guy is really guy is like intense on the fact that we were at war and he should be there and he's not going to take. Yeah. And I'm just okay with doing all of this. But that's, <laughs> that, but that's that whole story of David and Bathsheba. That's like one bad choice after another. Yeah, but like why? Yeah. Constantly. But why is it the? Yeah, he's able to shut out his conscience, or to some extent, or God, I would assume, to some extent, during that whole thing up yeah. until the point where Nathan tells him the story about the sheep. Yeah. Like, why is it you care more <laughs> about sheep thing. than yeah, yeah. this man that's been like your friend for years and is leading your army at war? He's one of like, mighty men. Like, he's like a lower tier mighty man. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So, like, yeah. like so he and David were pretty close, or at least I would assume they had one conversations point. at some point. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. point. And yeah, but yeah, that's uh, that's Solomon's dad. <laughs> Way to be, David. <laughs> David. And I enjoy David, but Solomon's the topic today. So Solomon is chosen to be king by David, which I I don't know how kings work. Like, why didn't the older brothers just smash him? I guess the the army now belongs to Solomon, and so they're like, well, we can't just take over Solomon's position. Yeah, the allegiance and and that army, the allegiance did. Enjoy Solomon, I suppose. Um, and he becomes king. He takes care of business to a certain extent. And then, what, chapter two of 1 Kings has this probably one of the neater stories uh, in scripture when, not chapter two, sorry, uh, chapter three, I believe it is. Yeah, chapter three, I was wrong. Chapter two is different, but chapter three of 1 Kings, when God uh, asked, uh, basically asked Solomon, what do you want? Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And for someone probably in his 20s. To ask for wisdom. Um, yeah, to ask for wisdom. And like a lot of wisdom. Right. Like the ability, legitimately the ability to know right from wrong. Yeah. And to take whatever he learns and use that in his daily yeah, his daily life is is intriguing because I'm trying to think back in my early 20s. Uh, I was married, had a kid, and I'm thinking that probably wouldn't be what I'm asking for. But I would have asked for like money, give me money, because I got to live. But Solomon has money; he's king of Israel. Yeah, plenty of gold left by his father. Yeah, like. I did a study a while back where it said like David left him oh, he set a him up. lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was good to go. I mean, David already collected the majority of yeah. the supplies needed for the temple too. Yeah. So, like, so he has he everything he needs. Tons of stuff. Yeah. And he says, you know what, God, <laughs> just give me wisdom to rule your people. Yeah. I don't know. In my early twenties before we hadn't had a kid yet, I guess I would have asked for 
I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have asked for wisdom. I would have asked for like effectiveness. I feel okay. Like. Yeah, I understand that. Like to know that I'm being effective at what I'm doing, and for other probably, if I'm being honest, for other people to notice that I was effective. Sure. Yeah. And for for me to be somewhat, I guess, famous or successful in the right, Christian. Right. I understand. I follow that church culture. I follow that thought process for sure. I don't know that I'd be far off from that. Even. But, yeah, I don't know. The wisdom sounds nice now. It does sound <laughs> nice. I wish I had more wisdom from in my 20s than I do now even. I'd rather have more wisdom then than I did do now, which I enjoy the wisdom I have, and I try to use that. But here's Solomon. Hey, I want wisdom. And God says, that's a great answer, Solomon. Good job. I applaud you. Because you asked for that, I'm going to give you other things as well. I'm going to give you fame and fortune. Everything your heart desires, essentially, and you will be yours. <laughs> From that story, and, and, and I think we talked about uh, why Solomon would be king. I think some of this is his humility, right? Like, he didn't ask for power. I mean, he didn't ask to become the strongest nation or anything like that. He just want, wanted all that. Yeah. And so there's this humility inside. That's why he asked for wisdom, I think, because he's thinking through this process, and he's like, well, and he's taking inventory of what he already, already has. And he's like, I got this, I have this, I have this, I have this. What do I not have at my disposal at this point? I think maybe he sits back and says, you know, I don't have wisdom. I want that. And then like immediately after, you know, he, he goes to the Ark of the Covenant and he's essentially just established as, as king. And... The first story of that wisdom we get is the probably the most famous story I would say of Solomon's existence. Like the one that the one that the majority of people, even people who don't like know the Bible, read the Bible very often, aren't aware of. But it's like his only story of like yeah. we see of him using his wisdom. It's kind of a weird story. Like of all the story, I wish there was a better story of God of, of Solomon using his wisdom than the story in chapter three. Of the two women who have babies that are the same yeah. age. See, that's the crazy part too, is because as I was reading this, I don't know what your guys' translation says, but as I just like remember thinking about the story, I always thought it was like two mothers. And yeah. like one was one was I mean, I guess technically. I was but I always just assume it was like two random mothers that were mm-hmm. out in the in the king's land, but in, in this translation says the two prostitutes came and stood before the king. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I get, my mental image of these two women is different than... They're not homemakers. Yeah, they're not the yeah, homemaker yeah. They're, type. They're not moms stay home and take care of the home yeah. and all that. So it, it just shifts the way I was thinking about they the whole women story. of the night. And, and one of them is pregnant, you know, yeah. that, that happens. And they both, they, they both, and they live together. Um, we don't know exactly, I, I don't know all the, con- the, the, the uh, culture context behind li- them being together. I mean, obviously they live together because they're, bi- and they're sleeping in the same mat or pad or say bed i guess uh which it's just what they did i mean one big area to sleep in and one rolls over and smothers her baby apparently yeah don't Uh, co-sleep with your kids i i I don't know how as a father i can't understand that maybe i can if i'm exhausted maybe i don't even know maybe because i remember the, the time we would old, right? have, yeah, the time we would have Ronan, like, my son 
in our bed with us. Like for one, he didn't sleep, but I was always like not really asleep aware of where he was. Yeah. Even when I was like dead exhausted. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of new. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know how that, how that works, how that plays out. But regardless, one baby dies, other one lives. The one, the mother whose baby dies swaps the babies. And then there's uh, some understanding from the other mother when she wakes up that this is not my baby. Uh, and I, I, I listened to this this morning and I had, I had a moment like, if my babies are only a few days old or even, you know, could I recognize if this is my baby or not? Because, um, you know, babies all look pretty similar when they're yeah. fairly new. And I'm like, oh, they know. They know. I'm, I'm sure Melinda would have had no problem knowing which one was her baby. I'd be looking through the window like, which one's mine? Oh, this is Martinez. <laughs> it says the name. We're very good. Phew. Uh, good thing we'd have twins. That would have been terrible. They labeled them. We well, labeled right. the same name. They'd be the same name. Right. If you had twins, you'd know that yours were the two that looked alike. Yeah. But afterwards, when they left the hospital, I wouldn't know which one's which. That's, that was always my fear. We'd have twins. I never know which one's which. which, one's which. So, I, you'd figure it out eventually. <laughs> eventually, but then I don't know if they, I was right. Maybe at some point though, like you switched <laughs> them midstream, like the, they were like newborns. Somehow you both just started calling them opposite names. I mean, that was all my fear that we'd have that, and I'd be like, I don't know which kids which properly, legally. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but no, that doesn't really matter. I guess in the end, they could figure it out later. They can rename themselves. It's all right. So sure. Anyway, so story goes on, and they finally go to the king. And this is interesting because we don't understand this concept at all in our country. Like just going to the leader of your nation, settle a dispute. I mean, yeah, to settle anything for that matter. And I listened to that, and it hit me like, how cool would it have been? I don't know if "cool" is the right word to go to the king with a dispute the leader of your nation, and say, hey, here's our issue. Like now, yeah, there's no way. You can't even get close to the leader of our nation. And I find that to be really interesting. Well, I mean, he was the lead. Judge. Everything. Yeah, yeah judge. Sure. So, I mean, this would have been a case that the lower courts, because they still had that. They yeah, had they lower did. judges and stuff. So this would have been a case that, I don't know how long it had been in the, coming up but right it would have sure. been something that everyone else just was like well i don't know how to figure this out and just passed it on mm-hmm. until it got to him so all these other judges who supposedly should have been other leaders and wise people in their own right couldn't come up with a just solution for how to to solve this problem so it ends up in, before king solomon but you like you said you bring that up and that's that's the right process because yeah they've exhausted every other court in their country or their area. And now it's like, quote unquote, the Supreme Court, which is the king. But we would never, like, for us, that's the Supreme Court. Like our country, the greatest court is the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But for, the, for their country, it's just the one guy. Like, if, <laughs> if you can't go through this and the king gets to decide how it goes, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, yeah it doesn't go for it. Which is, is pretty cool considering we can still do that to God, like as our king. Like, we can always take it, and we can take it to him directly. We don't have to go through any other process. You know, thanks to Jesus, we have that ability to go before God confidently. And Jesus, you know, in his, in his parable says, do it, do it and be as annoying as possible. I mean, because God loves you. You won't annoy him. 
But like, you know, you just keep knocking. And God's like, I'm here. I'm going to give you what you need here. So here these women show up to Solomon. Here's the issue. And he says, okay, you say this is your baby and the dead one's her baby. And you're saying this is the exact opposite. So let's figure this out. Bring me, bring me a sword. <laughs> if I'm a servant, I'm like, okay, I guess. Here, here's your sword, sir. And it's like, all right, let's cut. No, you cut the baby in half because it's not Solomon doing it. Uh, he says, he tells the servant, cut the baby in half. <laughs> if you're the servant, what's your response? Like initially in your head, like, I don't know. Have you seen those uh, TikTok videos where they're running around and people are going like, hey, hey. And then someone goes, hey. And they go, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. That would be my reaction as a servant. I'd be like, what? What? Uh, you, huh? I don't Seems like a strange ruling. You know, yeah, they're both going to get a dead baby yeah. <laughs> or half baby. of a dead baby <laughs> if we do that. Make sense. And what about the baby's life in this situation? But and because it's to the king to, the, to decide. So in a, in a more personal question, like in my own personal mind, how do you cut this baby? Lengthwise. That way they get one eye, one Hot nostril. Hot dog. Hot dog style. Remember those days? I legitimately thought about that while I was reading it. So I was like, how would they cut? I was just pictured at the waist, but then I was like, no, because then you'd get like, but yeah, one get lady feet. would just get like the legs and the other yeah. one would get, and then oh, the baby could so. still be alive. You can live yeah. without legs. That'd be awful. So <laughs> I know this doesn't happen in the story. Like just the process, like, what are you going to cut the baby in half? How does that even happen? Are you going to go from the nose, like straight down the middle of the nose? And can you cut through a baby with a sword that, with the skull and all? I mean, babies are pretty soft and brittle anyway. It's soft and easy to, because their bones aren't all there yet. Like they're not calcified. Skull bones aren't click. And so it's like, that's a gruesome thought. That's the whole point of Solomon. Is like, the whole point is like, let's, yeah, let's, let's cut them in half. And hopefully the real mother will do exactly what the real mother does. Could have compassion. Don't kill the child. Which is weird because the other one's like, yeah, that sounds fair. Let's let's kill this baby. Let's put him in half. And yeah. yeah, that's a this woman's terrible. Yeah, that's that's the part that always confused me. Is like I can't fathom like being in a courtroom where someone's like, oh yeah, sure, yeah, that that makes sense. That's totally fair. I'd be like, <laughs> I, could, I don't understand that at all. Like, well, I think that that to some extent that's what grief coupled with envy, I guess, kind of kind of does. Like she's somehow lost what she wanted and she's living with this other woman who's got her happiness. I mean, it says they're both prostitutes. They're not married. So yeah. all they have is these kids and they both had a kid and now they, one of them doesn't and she can't stand to see the other one happy when she knows like hers is dead. So yeah, let's bring us back to an even playing field. It's kind of, and some of that is obviously terrible. Like the root of enviness or that quest for, I guess equality in some sense in here to, mm -hmm. is yeah. that you take, yeah. you find your good fortune and others misfortune. Yeah. Yeah. Like your pain drives you to, to that. Yeah. And your own, and your own misery comes when others succeed. Like that's, that's totally terrible and backwards and not how it should be. So when I hear that and I hear the story and I read the story and I'm like, but how, it, even as a student, it was always a question of like, how does he know though? Like, how does he know like, that that's the right mom? I understand that the compassion. To me now, it makes sense. Even as you're speaking, it's like it makes sense because you're saying she's okay with killing the baby because now we're back to a level playing field. She's no longer a mom. 
So why should the other mom, woman be a mom as well? If they're living together, there's this process of like, well, if she has a kid, then she's not going to be able to be prostituting herself out as much. And if they have to pay whatever they got to do to live, now that one's the only one going to be, or doing the majority of the yeah. quote unquote work. And if they're living together, it's like this constant wave in your face every morning. Yeah, absolutely. And we up. see that throughout Old Testament yeah. too, right? Yeah. You know, uh, Hagar doing that to, to Sarah. Like, oh, like I have a baby. You don't. Kind of stuff. And it's like, okay. And so my first, my, as a kid, I'm like, how does he even know? Maybe, maybe she's wrong. Maybe, he, what if he's wrong? Because right? we don't really I don't know. know. I mean, I just thought about that. And my first thought is, even if he's wrong, the baby ends up going to the more compassionate woman, which right. is and probably better, better in, the, in the first place. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and so, again, I'm not saying he's wrong. Eh, what if he's wrong? But you're right. It's then, going to the person that wants the baby to live. Which is still yeah, the, values the life. wisdom right. in that. Right. And that's it. It's the wisdom. Whether so he's not, wrong or not, his wisdom Dictates shot. the compassion. Yeah. Better it, place to go. The thought is, whether or not she's the, the real mom, doesn't matter. She's the mom that's going to... That loves it. Loves this baby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's it. Well, that's, that's the wisdom. It's like, so wisdom is not about right and wrong, necessarily. It's about doing the right thing which happens to be right and wrong. <laughs> like, because we don't know if he's right or wrong. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, the, the Bible tells us that it was the right woman. The right woman. But, but like, how, again, does he know? For sure. Don't know. But he made the right choice, regardless. Yeah. So, wisdom. That's, he knows. That's the only, he knows. He's the only story, though, that he has of his wisdom. And it's a weird one. And then jumps into him building buildings. Yeah, it talks about his wealth, his wealth, and yeah. his wisdom. It just gives all these accolades to how amazing he is, you know. Yeah, just basically what he chose to do with his wealth. And you get to the point like he honors God so much so that that it says uh, right that every Israelite had a fruit tree, essentially saying that it was like the most po- prosperous time in Israel's history. That mm-hmm. that at this point Solomon has led and, and honored God so well that that he has absolutely prospered everything. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we can't read the whole thing, but and most people probably wouldn't want to read all this about him building temple. Yeah. Because it's kind of, I don't know, if you're a builder or a carpenter or, or someone who likes that, the, reading it is interesting. If you understand the... Well, and the complexity. Change and transition and measurements. <laughs> right. And yeah, that too, because like cubits and cubits, and it's like, ah, man. And it, but you look at it, you're like, he's building this temple for God, which his father wanted to do. David wanted to build it, and God told David, you can't. Yeah, you're just you, not, I'm not letting you. Too much blood on your you hands. You have too much blood on your hands. I can't allow that to be built a temple. Here's Solomon. He has a, a little bit of blood on his hand because of how he, re, uh, how he like uh, solidified his kingdom. Yeah. By getting rid of the enemies and having his having David's mighty men to do that work, which is super cool, by the way. Um, he starts building this temple and you start looking at all the the intricacies and all the things that he wants done and has done in the temple. And it's like, man, he pays so much attention to detail that he wants these things done. And I kind of wish we could see it. Hmm. You know what I mean, like, it'd be neat to see 
everything he's doing. I mean, he's building cherubim that are 10 cubits high. And depending on your view of cubits or understanding cubit, you know, foot and a half or whatever, or 18 inches or whatever it might be. I mean, you're still looking at a 10 foot tall cherubim, two of them that are, yeah. And it's just like, man, made of, of what the olive wood and, and he understands all of this. He understands or somehow, some way he understands all of the, how all this works. And he's got these builders who are, who are learned in these ways and gifted with these, these things, um, which I'm, I'm not, I wish I was kind of a, a builder carpenter I mean, I can hammer things together and stuff and it's terrible, but I guess the job done type of things. But what I love about this is that he, he doesn't do it himself. He is just overseeing all of it. Mm-hmm. And there's this beauty of the people of Israel, the workers doing this and using their skill sets that God has given them. Yeah. In and of itself, that's wisdom. Like it's not about mm-hmm. you doing it all, but you putting people in position who have the right. ability to do so. Delegation. I think, that's, right? I think it's a good point. Like that's wisdom. It's handing that off. The people who can do it. Why you got to be the guy to do it all the time? You don't. Let someone else take care of it which is a huge note for anybody in ministry. <laughs> you don't got to do it all yourself. Yeah. You got to hand some things off. Um, and in a world where students are dealing with stress and pressure, the pressure to do everything, you don't have to. And so he's letting other people do these cool things. It's really cool looking, seems. I mean, you've seen model, and I've seen models of them. But I don't think any of them do justice to the way it looks. So much gold is there. Mm-hmm. Gold's pretty cool. Like when the sun hits it and it starts shining, it's bright. Especially if it's yeah. clean. And even pictures of gold, like seeing gold. So, I mean, there's enough gold that seeing it in person would look way different than even if we had some kind of a picture of it, which right. we don't, obviously. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Even someone's rendition of it would never look like what the real thing looked like. So in, is, in is Jerusalem, where the Temple of the Mount is, Temple of the Mount, and the Muslims have that, their mosque up there, mm-hmm. and it has that gold temple or a gold dome on it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of that, because you can see a picture of that anywhere. You can find it online anywhere. It's just gold it, dome. Sun hits it. It's sun hits it. It's bright. You can see it from probably all over the area, because it's on top of the mountain. Imagine a whole building in the temple, and then you get into the palace just covered in gold and inlaid in gold. Everything's got gold on it. Um, it was, like a light on a hill. Essentially, yeah. Essentially. All day, every day, you wake up in the morning, the first thing you see is this gold temple or gold yeah. palace. Yeah. And I think that helps you. I mean, this is getting way ahead, but you know, later on when you have the, the second temple being built and Nehemiah, right, has to address mm-hmm. like everyone kind of being depressed about how the temple looks even when it's finished and he's like you know because it doesn't look like the temple they remember yeah because well, well obviously reason. like they're yeah. Yeah. they're they've already been destroyed yeah they're, they're, it's been destroyed they don't have the access to that kind gold. of gold anymore yeah. they're just building with what they have which is not what they had in solomon's time mm-hmm. so it doesn't look anything like what they remember but yeah and you can understand that i don't know that anything will like has looked like that especially that be, if you made it like or if somehow you were you were alive the C1, right? And you're trying to come back and replicate it 
airport, you hear stories of the one gold, all that gold, and you're like, it's Can't not be the done. same. Like, I understand that. Like, not the same at all. Yeah. It's not, it's not the way my ancestor described it. Right. Yeah. And so can we even worship the same way? Mm. Right. There's that, there's that, that disconnect, maybe that feeling of disconnect. There's no disconnect there necessarily, but the feeling of disconnect where uh, just, it's just not the same. And I think we see that in churches still a disconnect because things aren't the way they were. They were even in, even mm. in our mind, even if things like haven't actually, even if there hasn't been this massive loss of gold. Yeah. But yet somehow the way in which I perceived it has shifted. Yeah. So that thing when I was young seemed amazing, but now, eh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's the, something to be said about the fact that this builds up to this temple and everything in, in Israel's history. Mm-hmm. And from here, things tend to fall, like, fall apart. And the temple eventually is, well, the kingdom's fractured first, but then eventually it's destroyed. And then uh, the temples that are rebuilt after it aren't anywhere yeah. near as awe-inspiring as this first temple appears to have been. And then, uh, you know, Jesus comes and we're worshiping in spirit and not at a place. And I think that's part of the, the, great, the, greater, the greater thing about Christ is mm-hmm. that it doesn't, the material world, whatever thing comes up in the material world, isn't going to be enough to, yeah. to keep things at their peak, like only Christ and focusing on on him on top of that hill, which yeah. is like we've talked about before, you know, a bloody, not as shiny spectacle of, to behold, but it's more meaningful and a more lasting one that uh, encourages you to, to follow Christ and to love others, hopefully, better than even that gold temple. Because obviously having that massive temple that inspired everyone and brought people from nations all around, all to, around to Solomon yeah. and to the temple and to everything else uh, didn't. It wasn't the lasting. Impact. Yeah, he was the final king. Like it's not like there was even one united yeah. king after he was that. The last king of like that. United that material temple was not enough. Yeah. To, to, it wasn't to protecting keep, them. Like in the end, it wasn't their protection. Yeah, and it wasn't enough to yeah. even keep the people of Israel worshiping that god. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which like, again becomes part we, of this. We too. think that like our traditions or the things in our buildings or the things that we keep as sacred cows. I guess is what yep. a lot of times they're called. Yep. Um, sure are going to be what keeps people worshiping God. And that or, when we yeah. abandon those, they, that's why things are falling apart is because we're no longer doing the traditional things we used to. If we would have just stuck with that, then everybody would still be following God and we wouldn't have all these problems. Yeah. And that's not, and I think some of, to some extent that can be the lesson of Solomon's temple. Yeah. It doesn't matter how grand your traditions or your building or anything else is that's representative of your worship for God. Mm-hmm. If Christ is not, at the center of that. And if that's, or at the center of people's lives, that's not what's pulling people in. It doesn't matter what other thing or what other traditions or what other things are going on in your, your worship yeah. community, your church. It doesn't matter what your church offers. If you lack Jesus. Yeah. If it's not focused yeah. on Jesus, yeah. it's going to yeah. crumble. And no, people, I, yeah. aren't, people aren't going to be brought in by your amazing. I mean, they, some people might be brought in, but they're not going to be. But again, it's not going to be like, you know, that united. It's not going to be the lasting, life-changing, Israel, eternal right. thing that keeps someone in Christ. We, we see a lot of people that are like that. Yeah. Students, too, who are brought in for what, by whatever. Right. And they never sit Jesus at, on their altar, essentially. They never sit Jesus as the main God of their life, their king. Yeah. And they wonder why it's kind of that, it doesn't make sense. That adage, I don't, I don't remember. 
who said it originally or how it came about. I think it's just a bunch of people, but just, I mean, in youth ministry or church in general, just the idea that what you win them with is what you win them to. to. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. that's been something that's like been at the forefront of my mind since the beginning of me doing the whole youth ministry thing. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, I can plan fun things, but if that's all this is, like, then it's nothing. I'm not offering anything. No, no I don't know if it's, because I don't pay that much attention, but when I first got into youth ministry, I was kind of at the, in my mind, I was at the tail end of the buy pizza for every service for youth mm-hmm. type of deal. Like I was at a church where they had like a several hundred dollar pizza bill before I got there, like every month. And I'm like, why? Because they, oh, they bought 30 pizzas every time they met. Well, that's a lot of pizza. Uh, and of course they had a, a, a large number of students coming. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, and, you know, that idea and those kids all poofed away and uh, things happened, but whatever. But I, I've always hit that in the head. Like, cause I don't know if that still exists today. I know that's still the joke. Bring feed them. They'll come. And that's no yeah. joke to that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the pizza parties are, I don't know that they're as big as they used to be. Uh, cause I just don't, I just don't know. I don't pay attention to that anymore, but it was big when I got in the youth ministry. But it, it, for, and the mentality is, at least they're here, right? And so we look at Solomon and his temple, and got to be, I mean, I can't lie. I think it'd be amazing to wake up in the morning and see this beautiful building where we worship God or for God, where we can see uh, the presence of God there. Yeah, and that's the other part, right? Like you look up and you're like, that's where God lives. Yeah, right. That's, that's where it. he is. My God lives there. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah, isn't to say, like what we've been talking about, isn't to say that there's no value in some sort of church building or traditions or material things. It's just those can't be the only thing. Like it doesn't mean we should abandon all of this and only meet in sewers or, you know, wherever and never have food when we're meeting together. Like, no, like that's not the answer. It's not the point. Yeah. The point is, yeah. And then what you said, like on top of that, like you connect that to Jesus as we we say uh, in, in all of this, right? So it's, well, that's where my God lives. And then you get to Jesus, you get to the second temple and the curtain is torn from the top mm-hmm. down and there's this release like, well, now my God is, is with me. Right. It's not just, he's up there. Like that. My God I mean, lives here. It's not only is it like, it's not only that Jesus is better than, like the, the brutality of the cross is somehow better and more beautiful than this opulent, crazy temple. But now, and only somehow it turns this, this cross into something better and more beautiful, but mm-hmm. it's even better because now he dwells with me. Like he tells the, the woman at the well, then there will come yes. a time where you're not going to worship on that mountain or this mountain. But that was a great yeah. thing to bring up on both of you. Like, cause that's when you said, when Dexter said that, I was like, yeah, exactly. The woman at the well, yeah. he says, no, don't worry about that stuff. It doesn't matter what mountain it's the spirit. And we receive the spirit when we receive Jesus as Lord. And it's like, Oh wait, so I can worship anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You can worship wherever you go with whoever you whoever you're with. You don't have to go to a church building. You don't have to go to a synagogue. You don't have to go to uh, these beautiful cathedrals. Yeah, I could be in my house, yeah. my kids, my wife. Yeah, which my thinking as far as like an illustration for this is kind of a like where I mean we all have wives where we met our wives or first time we kissed our wife or whatever. Like there's you know that place mm-hmm. may have some sense of importance, but it's not like you like. That place is important. It's connected that. to your wife. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't like value that place above all else. Like maybe the, the car that you had when y'all it's first like started dating or something. My wife. Like, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not the only, not the only place. place you can kiss your wife. Like your wife's there. He'd be like, no, <laughs> like we, we have to go back here to do this. It's yeah. like, no, like your wife can be with you and you can do that anytime. Yeah, like, anytime I want to. I have a license and, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that, and that's the same way with, with Christ. Like once we're following yeah. him, we have Christ and we can engage with Christ and commune with Christ with anyone else anytime. And yet so many people attach that to a place like, oh, that's the place where, you know, I met Christ. It's like, fine. Did you take him with you when you left? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what question. matters. Like, did, did you, and that's, like, did that's that become that a Jesus relationship part. and a communion? And now yeah, you, like, you go with him and take and share, you know, share that, that love and that connection, that worship with, with others, with those around you Yeah, and your family like grows, yep. right. And then goes in new places and in new directions and with new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that should be the same as our relationship with Christ should, should grow and not just be stagnant in, in a place where we connect with him the best. Right. And I think that's a, that's a huge point for us to grab onto. I think the question you asked was, do you take Jesus with you? Like mm-hmm. you met him somewhere, whether it be a youth building, a youth building or a church or a sanctuary yeah. in a church or a youth room in a church, youth, yeah. whatever. Specifically for like students, like summer conferences. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, like summer conferences. Oh, I love Gunnison, Colorado. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a time. Why? I mean, you yeah. have this, you have this place and like, your faith is rocked if you don't go back to that place, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and you get set up as this, well, that's where I connect with God. Then you're missing it. And you're missing the point. Miss like the entire point of taking you and you experiencing him there is so that he doesn't stay there. So then that he comes with you and then, Hey, next time we might go back. I mean, he, he's going with you. It's not, he's there and I'll, I'll get him someday. And I think, I think sometimes that's the, that's the biggest struggle I have with summer conferences mm-hmm. is I love what they do. They give you a chance to get away and connect and experience God, maybe for the first time or maybe again, like this renewing. They give you this chance to essentially be introduced or to reconnect to the opulence of the temple, if you want to say it that way. Um, but like, you know, you're saying if, if there's nothing in there, if we as youth pastors, youth leaders, parents aren't instilling that, that God is not, he hasn't stayed there, but he came home with you, mm-hmm. then we're just, we're lacking in yeah. the depth that our students need. Yeah. It's a poor relationship if you can only enjoy Jesus. your spouse, like when okay, you're showing spouse, her off, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. right? Like. Like when you're in public and in private, in private, you like despise her or something and you do your own thing. Like, ah, I go do your thing. I'll do mine. Yeah. Yeah, there's but no when time we're together. Spent. Like, oh, yeah. look at how pretty my wife is. Or, so that yeah. makes me great. Or, you know, women Superficial. like, look at this, look at this boy that I'm dating. Yeah. And you have to post about it, right? Like oh, yeah. on social media or whatever and post all these things. Like if that's what your relationship consists of, this public appearance of what that looks like and how great that is, then it's lacking. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I think those conferences are. It's like this public thing where everyone, like everyone there at least to some extent pretends even that they're loving Jesus. Cause that's yeah. what's happening. That's Absolutely. what's going on around there. Everyone's crying. Everyone's, everyone's like, yeah, this everyone is enjoys it. Is. This is great. This is fantastic. There's so many fun things to do. And this worship whatever. is the only worship that matters. Yeah. Right. But then yeah, yeah. if when you leave that place and then you post about it there, but then when you leave that place and you're in private and you're just doing whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you're despising, you know, yeah. your relationship with Christ to some extent, then yeah. and and it's, it's not a good the, relationship. That's the scary <laughs> part. Like, when, whenever I come back from a retreat and I, the students, the students that I hear say, 
man, I miss that place so much. I just want to go back. I'm afraid for. Whenever yeah. they say that, whenever they say that, I'm not thinking like, oh, that was a win. I'm like, that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah you missed the point. Like if, if you're not coming back and you're excited and, and pumped and ready to do this here, you, you missed it. This has been another episode of Snake on a Stick. See you next time. See ya.